open up to Acts chapter 14. Speak boldly for the Lord. I will resume going through the book of Acts. Over the next month I will speak out of chapter 14 and chapter 15. Having trouble here. There we are. Come on up. All right. Let's read. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, and to stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lasonia and to the surrounding country. And there they continue to preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you like always, Father God, that you have given us a road sign, that you have given us a blueprint, you have given us a map of understanding uh, how you operate in this world, of just how sufficient and how powerful the word of God about the message of Jesus' work alone to save and convert people, Father. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that the power is intrinsically tied up with the person and work and the message of Jesus Christ, Father God. That sinners can find the joy, the freedom, the beauty, and the sweetness of eternal life and salvation, Father. Father, breathe upon the text tonight, Father God. Take these seven verses of Scripture, hammer them home, into our minds, into our hearts, God. Not words, Father God, but the power to speak boldly and watch God do effective things through us. Help us to believe this, God, that this is for us today also, Father. That you are in the business of taking the word and applying it to people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I need a tissue. May I get a tissue? Handmaidens. Look at Kimmy. Where'd you get that little thing? A little napkin wallet. I've never seen that before. <laughs> you got to get to a certain age before you get one to use one of those. You know, you can't get that at like twenty or thirty. You got to be like a certain. I'll leave it alone. I might be getting myself into trouble. But we always talk about speaking boldly for the Lord. Picking up the book of Acts again, we're going to go through chapters 14 and 15 over the next month. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. He had three of them. The first one starts in 13, 14, ends in, ends in 14 really. But I will pick up 15 also. 
Acts is the history of the early church that we've gone through this already. The first 30 years of its inception and growth, starting in Jerusalem, making its way around the known world at that time, the known Mediterranean world. Uh, Acts shows the expansion of the church. The epistles show us the ongoing ministry to these churches that were birthed through their ministry. The number one reason for Acts is to show that nothing can stop the expansion of the gospel. Without sword or threat, the apostles just witnessed. That's all they did. They witnessed the Christ event to their world, and God did the rest. There's no cunning, no craftiness, no lying, no cheating, no scheming. Just heartfelt proclamation of the truth is what they had. I want you to think about this. They turned the whole world upside down. We're going to see in our text today. The whole city was divided by these men that came with nothing but a message. That is it. Just a couple of men, not a big team, with a message. The gates of hell, as we started Acts chapter 1 about a year and a half ago, I explained, will never prevail against the gospel. It does not fail. You belong to something that cannot fail. There will always be attacked. The church that sometimes looks like it's always losing, but it's always moving forward. We have to remember that. It always looks like, you know, you're barely making it, you know, but the church is always alive and the church is always thriving. It never fails. The gates of hell will not prevail against the truth about Jesus is power enough to do what God sent it to do to save all those God has ordained to eternal life. Like I said, chapter 13 begins with Paul's first three missionary journeys. We end the last time with Paul and Barnabas being persecuted in a place called Antioch of Pisidia, a region of modern-day Turkey in southern Turkey today. It's still there. Most of Acts 13 is concentrated there. But now, like always, there's welcome is finally worn out. Persecution results. And as is usual in Acts, they move on from there to the next destination, which is a place called Iconium. Iconium is about 100 miles away to the north. Like all of Paul's exploits, it's followed a deliberate approach of going to the most advanced cities of his day. Cities that were part of some kind of civil, economic, religious uh, advantage. These cities served bigger purposes for Paul. To go where there was a synagogue of the Jews first. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. That was Paul's philosophy. Then to expose the gospel to as many people as he could. So that it could advance further and further by the way of the Roman roads that crisscrossed the old ancient world. In this way, the message of Jesus cross-pollinated the ancient world. Chapter 14 is constructed around three major cities and one lesser one. There's Antioch, Iconium, where we are today, Lystra, where we'll be next week, and Derby. It shows the impact of Jesus on this area and the usual reception that comes with speaking about the gospel of salvation. As we look at these four different locations, it's really about one geographical location known in scripture as Galatia. Paul later wrote the letter by that name to this geographical location. He considered it not one, but not 
He considered it one, not multiple sites. Let's go to our text tonight. I'll make some observations and I'll share some applications afterwards. <coughs> Acts 14.1 Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now we're talking about the power and the boldness to speak the word of the Lord. And it comes out right here in chapter 14, verse 1, that they spoke in such a way. Let the, let the scripture whet our appetite when it comes to speaking in such a way for God. Let it stir us up on the inside. That the apostles were speaking in such a way, in such a hostile place, in such a way. That a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. We find Paul and Barnabas doing what apostles did back then. And that is, when their welcome was over in one location, where they were being persecuted, so that effective ministry came to an end, they simply, without emotion, I want to put that in there, they simply, without emotion, they weren't crying the blues, they weren't blaming people, they weren't saying, they could care less. When their welcome was over, they got up and went somewhere else and set up camp. That's what they did. If there was a synagogue there, you can rest assured Paul was on his way. Without emotion, they moved to the next major place where a synagogue was, and that's what we find in Iconium, which is about 100, 110 miles away. It's about a week of walking, and that's what they did. For a week, they walked. And they came here, and as usual, they went to the local synagogue. That was the custom of the day. Jewish rabbis, visiting rabbis, were always asked to speak and to give some encouraging word. Just think about sitting in one of these synagogues, hearing the same thing over and over and over, reciting the Old Testament over and over, and then Paul comes in. And they waved a hand. Brother, do you have an encouraging word for the congregation? You know what I mean? It's like Paul, like, biting at the... the chopping at the bit the air just to get in there. They spoke with such convincing power. And they didn't come empty-handed. They came and they opened up the scriptures to these people. And they convinced from the scriptures. Paul always argued from the scriptures. He always brought a defense of what he was saying from the scriptures. So powerful. It says that many Jews and Gentiles believed. Now we're not to think that this is one service, one synagogue morning, one synagogue afternoon. It was probably for a period of time. He spoke in such a way that many people came. It must have been very encouraging for these people. All their synagogue life, as I already mentioned, they came in and they read the prophets. They read the law. They read the Psalms. They would go through the, they would go through the scriptures annually. Every two and a half to three years, they would read through their Old Testament scriptures. 
Their whole life was based on promise. God promised. God promised the fathers. God promised the fathers. God promised the fathers. God promised the fathers. And then one day they're off to the synagogue and they're going to think they're going to hear the same message. God promised. And then there it is. This Jewish rabbi gets up and starts speaking powerfully about the fulfillment of all God's promises. Don't miss that. This is not Paul just going into a town and the town hearing something. They're hearing something they never thought imaginable. Messiah has came. Messiah has suffered and died according to the scriptures. Messiah was raised on the third day. Don't miss that. Because guess what? That's what we do. That's what we do on Sundays. That's what we do every time we do ministry. Somehow, some way, we're talking about the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. You would think that everybody would get up and everybody would rejoice. Many people believe, but guess what? Many people fought back. Must have been very encouraging for these people to finally hear a fulfilling word. But listen to what happens in Acts 14 too. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. We have to remember, but as was usual, there were always jealous, hostile unbelievers. Most unfortunate. And they came from both the Jewish people and the Gentiles. You see, in the Jewish synagogue 2,000 years ago, there were Gentiles. There was a place for Gentiles, Greeks to come in and sit in the back. They were called God-fearers. And there was something about the Jewish religion. They really saw something precious in it. And they, they gave themselves almost fully over to it, except for circumcision. In their heart, they believed there was something there. But they wouldn't go through. But they were welcomed. They were treated kindly. There was a place in the synagogue for them. But they weren't Jews yet. Every synagogue had them. The Gentiles would have left them alone if not for the unbelieving Jews. But as natural for unbelieving religious people, they found a nice little coalition to fight against the apostles. Isn't that what they did to Christ? Two feuding parties got together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They never liked one another. And Pilate, when it came to the end, because of Christ, and they realized Christ was a threat to both of them, they got together, and what did they do as a coalition? Found a way to kill So we have something going on here of similar things. They would have been left alone, but they were stirred up and assembled coalition against the apostles, and they poisoned their minds. Not doctrinally, not theologically. What they would do is they would point to the apostles and speak badly against them, as there was some sort of threat. We see that in politics all the time, most unfortunately. Some sort of threat. They weren't talking to Paul about, Paul, how could this be? You're telling me Jesus was raised from the dead. You're telling me Isaiah 53 is pointing to Jesus Christ. But, but explain it to me. 
They didn't want to hear it. When you refute certain religious people that don't know the scriptures, they get very irritated. When a religious person knows nothing about their religion, you ever meet them? They go to church all the time, but they don't know anything about Jesus. And then you sit to them and you talk to them about Jesus and they get what? Irritated. That's what happens. But 2,000 years ago in other parts of the world that you get killed for that. But listen to God. Listen, it's not over. Actually, Luke is building this up. He says here in the third verse, so they remained for a long time. I thought they were just being persecuted. The whole city is divided. The whole city is coming against them. You'd think they'd pull out. So they remained for a long time in this hostile environment, speaking boldly for the Lord in this hostile environment, who bore witness to their word, bore witness to the word of grace, that's the gospel, granting signs and wonders be done through their hands. This time, even in the midst of persecution, they remained. Why? The reason for this is, as we said in the introduction, is that effective ministry was going on. When effective ministry is going on, no matter how hot the water gets, you don't get out. This effective ministry is taking place. The Lord was granted here. Not always in the book of Acts. Let's get that straight. Not always do we see miracles taking place every time Paul preached. In this town, signs and wonders. That means miracles were being done. And that was to testify to the message that the message can be counted as worthy. The Lord granted here as a buffer between the hostile unbelievers and those God was still calling into the kingdom. God wasn't finished. Basically what God told Paul and Barnabas is, don't go nowhere, stay here, I have more people in this place. Keep on preaching, they cannot touch you. With their lies and their threats, continue to preach. Don't take your hands off the plow, I'm with you. So they continue to stay a long time in this hostile situation. They continue to preach boldly. And if you don't want to know what that means, go back to chapter 13 when you go home tonight and read it. And you will see Paul preaching boldly in the face of great persecution. Go go read it tonight. But this was a buffer. God wasn't through yet. That's what the scriptures are teaching us. God is not the, how many people know all of us has failed and we've pulled out of a relationship when God was still not finished with it. It's so easy to pull out and not go the extra mile, not to turn the cheek again because it's getting too hot in the oven over here. It's getting too much. I'm tired of talking to this person about Jesus. Guess what? I'm out. We need to be careful. We'll speak more about that in in application. God wasn't through yet. This is important. 
The apostles knew that. Verse 4 goes on to say this. But the people in the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews. Some sided with the apostles. Everybody's involved. This is the news of the day. This is what everybody wanted to know. Everybody wanted to hear. Everybody was coming out. Something was happening in our city that has never happened before. And we want to know. Everybody's coming out to hear. It's like a big tug of war going on. The whole city, all the people are divided. Remember what Christ taught us? I did not come to what? Bring peace, peace, but to bring a sword. And to bring division. Sometimes between family members, husbands and wives, parents and children, children and their parents. That's what the gospel does. Some people embrace Christ and love Christ and follow Christ. And the person next to you doesn't want anything to do with them whatsoever. Think about our own loved ones. Think about our own family. Think about how many of us got saved and how many other people just want nothing to do with Christ. This was happening in the city. When and where God shows up and does a mighty work, There'll always be division. Always. This great tug of war has taken place. Why? Because the stakes are high. The next verse teaches us that the stakes are high. Listen to verse 5. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles, because these two people aren't shutting up. Paul's going to continue to preach. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles, with their rulers, everybody's in. All the big players, all the rainmakers, everybody who's somebody in this city is in a coalition to mistreat them and stone them. Paul gets stoned in the next city he goes to, just to let you know. Go home and read it. As time went on, the hostile unbelievers finally resorted to violence. You know why? That's their only hope. That was their only hope. That's why they killed Christ. They had to get rid of Christ. They had to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. Let's stone them. Let's kill them. Unbelief wasn't good enough. Poisoning their mind wasn't good enough. Now punitive damages were their last resort. You see what was happening? When you read the book of Acts, when you read the Gospels, you find out the jealousy that went on in the religious leaders' lives because you had these apostles coming and they were, the people of the city were, they were owned by the religious leaders. Now here they come. Guess what? They're losing the power over the people. There's only one time in scripture you'll see someone losing power and he didn't care. John the Baptist. Everybody was following John the Baptist until Christ came. Then everybody started following John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist's disciple says, John, they're starting to follow Christ. He goes, that's okay. He must increase. I must decrease. 
Unbelief wasn't good enough. Poisoning the minds of the, the Gentiles wasn't good enough. Punitive damages, the last resource, resource. This was a premeditated and calculated decision by the leading people of the city to stone Paul and Barnabas. But yet they would not stop preaching. They were still bold for the Lord. You know why? It wasn't their time to die for Jesus yet. Let me encourage you with something. When you have fear to tell somebody about Christ, when you have fear to share your faith, when you have these fears, understand something. Take it for the word of God. Nothing can harm you unless God allows it. Do you believe that? If you really believe it, understand something. You'll rejoice. Nothing, whatever comes your way is allowed by God. Now listen to verse 6. They learned about it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding country. It looks like they fled. And there they continued to preach. Well, they fled for a reason. To continue to preach. See, their time had not come yet. You know why? Because God made it known to them there is a plot against him. There's a second plot against Paul already. There was a plot against him. That's when you go. Talk about don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. These men were battle-hardened ministers of the gospel. Battle-hardened. They knew how to stay in a place as long as they possibly could, but after getting the news, now they knew their time had to go. There's a time to run and fight another day and find greener pastures to share their faith, and that's what they're doing here. Let me go into some application here. Seven verses, a little short story, Paul's first missionary journey. What does that mean to you and me today? Are we apostles? No. Am I going to lay hands on the sick and signs and wonders are going to be done? Guess what? No. I know that. You know why? I tried it for 17 years. (laughs) And all I got was yelled at. I mean, so bad was I at one time. I followed that doctrine that everybody should be healed thing. I followed that. Like a moth to a flame, I follow that. Such to a point that I got a phone call from uh, a wife. I ministered to the husband for a long time. He got sick and died. But he's still in the basement. And I ran over there and they had it taped off, the yellow tape. And there was a cop. I said, I got to get down there. He goes, why? I said, I want to pray for him. He goes, he's dead. But in my mind, I had to get there. I found out, guess what? I don't have the gift of raising the dead. And I say that in a sort of half-jokingly way. But understand, so if you don't have that, don't go there. Don't go there. Speak the word and the message of Christ. Let people be saved. If God wants to hear wonderful. Praise God. I'll speak a little more about that, but I just wanted to share that with you because I was so ingrained to that. There's only one antidote God gives the church in a hostile world. Boldness and clarity. 
to stand there and still proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, no matter how hot it gets. Unashamedly, to speak with boldness and speak with clarity because you love God so much and you love people so much that you continue to share, you have to share. Now, most of us are not going to do that. Most of us are never going to be apostles. Let's understand that. But there is two-dimensional witness going on here. Today, there is a two-dimensional witness. There is the church witness. And when I get up here, a Pastor John, when a pastor gets up into a pulpit, he whatever text he's proclaiming, he proclaims it as what it is. It is the word of the living God. And with boldness and clarity of explanation, we do the best job we can. We teach the church and who's ever here, maybe friends, and we bring people that we're witnessing to, and they get to hear the power and boldness and clarity of God's word. But then there's a personal aspect. There's a time where you're witnessing to your, it's called friendship evangelism. Say that with me, friendship evangelism. I'm not an evangelist, per se, but I do a lot of evangelism. I do a real lot of personal, one-on-one evangelism. Give me a crowd of one, two, three, four people, I'm in. I'll talk to them about the Lord. There's a couple things we need to know when we do that. It's good if we do it as clearly, with as much understanding as we can. But if you don't have that mind, if you don't have the aptitude to break down the scriptures to somebody, don't be afraid. There's something just as good. Once I was blind, and now I see. That's all God needs. You know, God loves his theologians. He raises them up. He loves his pastors. He raises them up. These are all gifts. He gives us mind. He gives us aptitude. He gives us the word of God. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us understanding. It's up for you. It's at your fingertips. You can study the word of God all day long, wherever you are. Push your fingers around. But not everybody has that. Nobody, not too many people can grasp the plan of redemption. But you do have this. I have to tell you, there was a time in my life I was destitute and hopeless and going nowhere. And then Jesus came into my life, and guess what? I'm a new man. I'm a new. That's good enough. That's good enough in God's hands. If he can take a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and feed almost 15,000 people, understand something. You know what he can do when someone says, I was a lost drunkard, but I went to a recovery meet, and then all of a sudden I'm a changed human being. The Christian pulpit unleashes the power of the scriptures against every high and lofty thing that speaks against the knowledge of God. That's our job. Two. It says in verse two, it says that they poisoned their minds. There will always be people, family, friends, co-workers who will try and poison the minds of people against the truth. They'll try to undo everything we're doing. There's always people. We, as a matter of fact, we live in a culture now. We live in a school system 
uh, even higher education that tries to undermine everything the scriptures ever taught a believing family. The school system is undermining Christian parenting right now. They're poisoning people's minds by telling things that are not true as though it was the truth. How? And understand something. That also is a predetermined and calculated attempt by the culture to undo the Christian worldview. Make no mistake about it. Three. Isn't it nice to know that nothing at all could ever stop the hand of God? Isn't that wonderful? Understand, whatever takes place in America, I keep a very close eye politically, whatever takes place in our culture, understand something. We'll all go to bring Christ's glory on the last day. Everything that's done will bring God glory. It might look like you're losing, it might look like we're losing, but God's never losing. He's always in 100% full control of what's taking place. You should be rejoicing now, because you know why you're not rejoicing? If you don't know what's going on in this world, if you don't know what's going on in this country, if you don't know what's going on in our city, if you don't know what's going on in our state, understand something. You will be downcast. It's so bad. But guess what? We pick up our Bible... We look up, we smile, our our redemption draws nigh. God is in full control. No man can thwart his counsel. No one can stop his hand. Even though it looks like the world is against us, it looks like the world is winning. Guess what? The world never wins. You can't fight God and win. You can't. Rejoice. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you something else. People are dying to hear the truth. They just don't know it. They don't know. They don't know what the truth is anymore. Understand something. Go tell people about Christ. Go tell your loved one. Go tell your co-workers. God will grant to you. He might not grant the healing. He might not grant a miracle. He doesn't need a miracle. He doesn't need that kind of stuff to open up someone's heart. Just go tell people. Talk to someone. Share the love of Christ that you have. How many people really would like to be effective for the Lord? Do you know it comes with a price, right? Tell me you understand that. You know when you're really doing God's work? When there's suffering and there's division. There was a divide in this city. Some were for the apostles. Some were for the Jews and the Gentiles and the rulers. Then it was like a tennis match. Who's going to win, you know? And, and that's how it is. It's rough. We're going to find out next week that, you know, it's through many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of God. If you want to be effective for Christ, there's no easier, softer way. At all. It says here in the last one, they fled to another city. As I said earlier, they fled because you cannot get hurt or get killed unless God allows it. Their time has not yet come. 
understand something, you can get up every morning, proclaim the truth, proclaim the gospel, you can share with your friends, people yell, scream, the boss, everybody, it makes no, no difference. I'll tell you, there was a sister of ours that was an assistant principal at Fort Hamilton High School back in the 80s and the 90s. And this was when it was really getting rough in the school system about speaking about the Lord, and so she didn't care. She prayed for the students. She laid hands on the students. She spoke to the students about Jesus. She told the parents. They told her to shut up. She kept on speaking. They told her to shut up. She kept on speaking. They threatened her. She kept on speaking. They were going to take a job away. She kept on speaking. She kept on speaking for another almost 20 years. She's in Florida now, retired, living a good life. Because her time did not yet come. Her time did not yet come. Understand something. My time is that when it comes, God takes me. Your time comes, I will take it. Go out there and share it. Enjoy it. But I'll tell you what. Please hear me on this. Do you really want to be that Christian that shares their faith? Look at everybody like this. Nobody wants to move. You have to pray. You have to pray. And you have to pray with people that live it. Yes. You have to pray. They did nothing without prayer. Let's close with this thought. I challenge you to pray over the weaknesses in your life. You can hear this message by ten different ministers every week for a hundred years. Nothing will change in our life. Unless we're a praying people. Nothing. And we're a praying church. Pray every Thursday. We'll pray with you. But prayer changes things. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the short story of the power of God and the boldness of the apostles. Even in a divided city where you were granted signs and wonders to be done, they continually spoke with boldness until they heard it's time to leave. And that's when they left, Father. I thank you, Father God, that the same gospel Paul preached in that city is the same one we live under today. It's the same one that flows through our heart. It's the same one we have the same Bible, Father God. It flows through our fingers. It's right there, Father God. Give us the love for people, Father. Please, I ask God, pour out into this church the love for human beings, a love for the truth, Father God, a love for to roll up our sleeves and to speak to people about Christ, God. Touch your church, we ask. Touch us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen.